Friday, regardless of when you're listening. We're recording this on a Friday. Warren, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Uh, there are three things that I, I really want to focus on today. One is uh, transgender politics in Alberta, Danielle Smith, etc. cetera. Uh, Donald Trump's uh, MAGA's uh, Travis Taylor conspiracy, but more important, uh, polls are now moving in the direction of Joe Biden as uh, women and independents and college-educated uh, people are abandoning Donald Trump, it would seem, from Quinnipiac, an organization taken seriously by everyone, including and especially Fox News. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we've got some other things that, that we want to get in as well, focused on what you were specifically writing about, uh, Hamas versus Israel, anti-Semitism, and uh, where the money is uh, coming from to drive all of that. Uh, let's start, uh, Warren, with uh, Danielle Smith, Alberta, transgender politics, uh, her political position now being opposed by those elitists known as doctors and nurses and, and teachers. Go. Well, it's uh, disgusting and despicable and dishonest. And, um, you know, I say that as an Albertan, I, full disclosure, when in that period when she was out of politics and uh, had a radio program, I was on her radio program and she did not seem to be a maniac to me at that time. Uh, but I've come to revise that view. Um, what she announced this week is dishonest because it is unnecessary. The law in this country, and the law applies to Alberta as well, is school boards and teachers and anybody in a position of authority is already required to disclose and communicate with parents of kids when those kids are under the age of majority about their health, about their psychological well-being, about them skinning their knee at school. They're required to do that by law. So what she has announced really to me is just a stunt in the culture wars game, much in the way that uh, DeSantis did. Uh, and I guess it helped him in Florida, but it sure didn't help him nationally. She has done something that is completely unnecessary because the law is already the law. So my only assumption can be that she did it in order to cause trouble and to divide people and start fights and make people feel crummy uh, who don't vote for her. And, you know, in a record time, she's accomplished that. But I tell you, Charles, she is offside with the law and she's offside with common sense. If you're a minor child, you already have to listen to your parents and so do school boards and teachers. So uh, when Angus Reid does a poll, just uh, just the politics here, it's got nothing to do with anything regarding morality uh, or, or ethics or, or politics or medicine or education. When Angus Reid does the poll, the poll says that the questions he's framing, which are the Danielle Smith questions, are in her favor. Uh, Angus Reid, who's one of the top pollsters in the world, says on the politics, Danielle Smith is connecting with Alberta. Well, you know, what did she do? You know, she didn't have a press conference to announce this where she would have to actually answer questions from pesky reporters and people who are knowledgeable. She did it in a video uh, and sent it out there so that there would be no questions. So there would be no resistance at that time. And, you know, if the question in the poll is, do you favor your child being mutilated? Um, in, in, because they have some gender confusion. Well, you know, you're not going to get the kind of result that you might reasonably expect. But if the question is, 
you know, should a person over the age of majority have the ability to decide what happens to their body and what happens, um, how they describe themselves, the name they give themselves, everybody's going to agree with that. And that that is what the law is. That is how things are now, is if you are an adult, you're allowed to do whatever you want. But if you're a kid, yes, the parents get consulted or the legal guardian. So again, like this was completely unnecessary. And uh, I haven't seen the Reed poll. And I, I think they do okay work. I think they play a little bit too much in the culture war game, frankly. Um, but uh, I think that, uh, you know, she's made a terrible mistake and I think she's going to rue the day. Let's uh, move to uh, the States for a moment. Uh, a Quinnipiac poll, as I said at the outset, uh, something taken seriously by all news organizations, including uh, Fox News. Fox News spent a lot of time on this yesterday. Uh, Donald Trump, is uh, not doing very well at the moment because uh, political independence, and we saw some of this polling in Iowa and New Hampshire, so it's consistent with that. Uh, political independents who generally lean right are moving away from him, as are college-slash-university-educated Americans, as are, and this should surprise no one, women, especially in light of recent news developments of the defamation suit that uh, Donald Trump uh, lost and the more than $80 million that he now owes Elizabeth Jean Carroll, the journalist and author. Warren Kinsella, uh, is Trump peaking early? Uh, well, I think what is happening is what I and I think a few others felt was going to happen, which is, and this relates actually, Charles, to the thing we just discussed, the Danielle Smith thing. Um, conservative voters, progressive voters, Basically, all voters do not want, in the memorable words of Pierre Trudeau, the government in the bedroom of the nation, right? And they also don't want governments dictating what people do with their bodies. And I have felt for a long time because I looked at the, and in full disclosure, I work for Joe Biden, as you know. Um, if you look at the midterms, if you look at the off-year midterms, what's happening is even in the deepest Republican states, like Kansas or what have you, people are running away from the Republican option because of their position on issues like abortion. I think that Donald Trump's appointees to the Supreme Court of the United States felt they were doing him and the, and the Republican Party a big favor by overturning Roe v. Wade. They weren't. They've actually made it dramatically worse for the Republican Party, who now has the most narrow of uh, majorities in the House of Representatives, did not take back the Senate. And now, as you point out, is at very real risk of losing the, a shot at the White House um, because of their position on these types of issues. It's not just Joe Biden. We can talk about Biden in a second because I have a Kretzian theory about Biden. It, it's because Republicans have picked the wrong issues and they're delving too far into morality issues and now it's biting them on the ass. The Kretchen theory on Biden, very interested. Yeah, well, okay, so as you know, I was special assistant to this guy who people said was not compass mentis. They said that he did not have a very good command of the English language. They said that he was too old. They said that he was doddering. They were said they said that he was past his prime. Well, every single one of those things they're saying and have said for quite some time about Joe Biden. 
And I have felt, and it's one of the, I, I said this to Gretchen, it's one of the reasons why I'm comfortable working for Biden. It feels like I'm working for Gretchen again. You know, they underestimate Biden in the way they underestimated Trudeau. You know, they make fun of the way Biden expresses himself in the way that they made fun of Gretchen. And like Kretzian kind of did okay, didn't he? You know, like three back to back, <laughs> three back to back majorities right. for the first time since Sir Wilfrid Laurier. So like, like keep it coming, Republicans and conservatives, keep attacking Joe Biden in the way you're doing because it's stupid. And now this poll, which as you say, is by one of the most reputable outfits in the states, is saying that strategy isn't working. The abortion stuff has hurt you, and going after Biden the way you're doing, it ain't gonna work. Let me go after the term old because, uh, yes, there is a person's age, but there's something that in our business, Warren, and I don't know you've done various aspects of our business, but in our business, which is getting attention and keeping attention, that's essentially the nature of our business. That's what we're doing, whether we're writing for newspapers, doing podcasts, broadcasts, TV, radio, it doesn't matter. It's getting people's attention, hanging on to it. Not, no, nobody does better than that, than the NFL. And we'll get to the NFL, Taylor Swift, uh, MAGA conspiracy stuff in a second. But when it comes to keeping people's attention, we use the word old all the time. Something that is boring, something that is predictable, something that's taking up way too much oxygen in our brains. We start to say, you know, that feels really old. Does anything in the Western world feel older than watching Donald Trump obsess about Donald Trump? No, and and that is, you know, I've knocked on doors in the States, as you and I have talked about in the past, and American voters, Republican and Democratic, are fed up to the teeth with the Donald Trump drama show. It's this three-ring circus all the time, and they want attention paid to their pensions and to Medicaid and to, you know, Obamacare. Those are the issues that they want to hear about. And Trump is just, you know, as we've, as I mentioned last week, he's just the chaos agent. And, the, you know, for sure, there's always a constituency of voters who tend to be conservative and angry, male, uh, not much post-secondary education. And their prescription for governing is to wreck government. They don't like government. They think government is the source of all their troubles culturally, economically, politically, personally. So they want to destroy government. So, you know, sometimes whether it's Pat Buchanan or Ross Perot or whatever, they'll embrace somebody who they see is an agent of destruction. And that's what Trump is, right? He he goes in and he wrecks things. He's like a five-year-old, you know, having a ten, temper tantrum, and he's really good at it. But like Americans are fed up. They had four years of that. And they embraced Joe Biden in record numbers. You know, he won by a 7 million vote uh, majority because he was just an adult. And yeah, you know, he expresses himself, you know, kind of in a funny way sometimes. And, uh, you know, he he's an older guy, but he's better than the other guy. And this is what the polls are now starting to show. So let me give you something else. It's right out of the Warren Kinsella playbook. You have uh, said for years very accurately that in general, conservatives are better at representing mainstream values than liberals. You've said that about Canada. You've said that about the States. You've said that about the world. And you've been remarkably accurate. Isn't it true, Warren Kinsella, as Raymond Burr might ask in the Perry Mason show, ask the witness, I'm asking the witness, isn't it true that Joe Biden is much closer to mainstream values than Donald Trump? 
Yeah, for sure he is. And, you know, values, um, you know, the, the, your gut. You know, there's there's hope and, and fear, right? There's passion and, and reason, you know, and Pierre Trudeau uh, used to say that he wanted to have governance done through reason. And I think all of us want that. But that's not how people make important political choices. They really make a lot of choices based upon their gut and, you know, based upon kind of a uh, what uh, one guy I once spoke to called, you know, the responsive cord, a cord within their being, this ineffable stuff of life that, you know, hopes and dreams and fears, the stuff you actually can't even put into words. That's what they're looking for. And with Biden, he just kind of radiates this decency that at a time, you know, of Ukraine and and Hamas and all these terrible things happening in the world, people want that. You know, they don't want more chaos. They want some stability in their lives. And that's what I think Biden's campaign is going to be projecting. It is, you know, yeah, it's Joe. You know Joe. And you're going to get more of the same, which is kind of responsible, decent, um, sometimes even boring leadership because you want boring. We've had a little bit too much excitement in 2023, 2024, and let's calm things down a bit. If you want to calm things down, Joe Biden's your guy. So uh, at one time, uh, Happy Days was a top 10 uh, show, and the most popular character was the Fonz, played by Henry Winkler. And the Fonz, uh, the people who, who wrote uh, you know, the Fonz character, made a big mistake in a particular episode. Fonz was seen as jumping a shark. So he wasn't just jumping guys and, and, and beating them up. Uh, he now was jumping a shark and nobody believed it. And the term jumping the shark came into play in culture. And the, the term is, basically is all about something that somebody does that just doesn't cut it with most people. It just doesn't have any credibility at all. Here's my question. Is the Taylor, Taylor Swift NFL conspiracy a case of Trump's MAGA Jumping the shark. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say you've got Raymond Burr in Happy Days now. I think you've dated both of us here because uh, we got a bunch of millennials and Gen Z people going, "What's what's Raymond Burr? What's Happy Days?" Um, yeah, uh, like you know. And I was talking to my my girlfriend's one of her staff is a Taylor Swift nut. Her name is Jill. Jill has saved up to take herself and her husband to Sweden to see Taylor Swift, because Taylor Swift for a while was not putting on a show in Canada because we didn't have a venue big enough to accommodate her. Now she is going to be playing in Canada. Like, and another one of my girlfriend's staff is traveling to somewhere else in Europe to see Taylor Swift. Like, you know, when I was younger, I guess back when Happy Days was on, like I was a big Beatles fan. And the Beatles to me, uh, remain the most successful and creative, um, the greatest pop band that ever lived. Uh, just an amazing act. And but I said to Jill yesterday, I said, you know what? I don't, I don't like Taylor Swift's music. I'm into punk rock and hardcore. And um, but man, I admire her. But to for a woman to to rise up and prevail in the music industry is so hard, and she is so powerful. You know, you can actually see when she shows up with her heirs tour in a town in the United States, well, a city in the United States or Europe, it actually, Charles, has a measurable effect on the economy 
Like there, I saw a study last last week that people were actually registering. Um, what do you call that when there's an earthquake? You know, the the ground shakes, right? The Richter scale. Richter scale. The Richter scale registered a Taylor Swift concert because there were so many people at it. So she is the most powerful person, it, not just woman. She is the most powerful person in culture right now on this planet. I cannot think of a stupider thing to do than for a politician to get into a fight with Taylor Swift. <laughs> it's like having, trying to have a land war in Asia. You ain't going to win it. She, like Donald Trump has made a massive mistake in attacking Taylor Swift and his minions, his winged monkeys, attacking Taylor Swift and her boyfriend. And they have a nice romance. It's like, who cares? They, they love each other. It's nice. It's nice. Who cares? And he's going after Taylor Swift. Yeah. He's, I'm going to say this. I'm going to, I haven't used this word in a while. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> All right. All right. So um, to, to me, the most seismically, uh, just to go with your earthquake business, uh, the most uh, seism seismically uh, stupid uh, aspect of the conspiracy isn't Taylor Swift. It's the NFL. Because <laughs> there, there, is no, there is no institution. I mean, you know, Bob Costas uh, said it the other day, uh, you know, 90% 90, 90 of the uh, top 10 shows of, of the year, 90% 90, 90 of those hours are NFL hours. They absolutely control the American psyche. They're as mass appeal as it gets, liberal, conservative, men, women, young, old, whatever. Uh, and so for Donald Trump to uh, basically make an accusation that the NFL is in a conspiracy to hurt Donald Trump, uh, I think it's a, it's a shark jump. And, and pardon me, Warren, uh, maybe I should, uh, you know, use you as a, war, as, a, as, a, as a better role model. If I were dating Gen Z women like you, I'd probably abandon all my boomer business with Raymond Burr, and happy days and all the rest of it. So maybe maybe I'll start doing that. But I'm not going to leave this podcast before you give, give, giving us a, an opportunity to get into your, your writer's mind. You've been writing about the Hamas-Israel anti-Semitic piece a lot lately. And you're doing an interview with someone who's very, very interesting on the most important issue of all that, that drives politics and culture. And that's money and where the money comes from. Warren Kinsella is following the money. And I want to follow what you're doing right now. What, what are you doing? Well, this afternoon, I'm uh, interviewing a guy named Gary Wexler. And Wexler is a great writer and a great thinker. And uh, he's out on the West Coast. And basically, his theory is one that I've been uh, subscribing to for some time. Like, if you look at what the conservative movement did, how is it that conservatives, who are numerically inferior to progressives, how is it that you hear from conservatives everywhere? And what happened is some years ago, um, various very powerful, very rich conservative interests set about on a program. It's not a conspiracy. They consciously did this to, you know, take over think tanks and to start to dominate in media organizations and start to dominate in um, the educational system, parts of the educational system. And they've been very successful at that. And actually, they've been for the most part, quite open about it. And they've used their voice. I disagree with their voice most of the time, but they, they have done that. What Wexler and I and others feel is if you look at what's happening on the streets, you look at what's now happening in universities like uh, Harvard and so on, Columbia, 
You look at what's happening in the public trade union movement, uh, in academia and so on, is there is this dominance of this anti-Israel point of view, uh, almost to the total exclusion of pro-Israel points of view. And that that's just not a coincidence. Um, and so what Wexler has found and what I've been writing about is that is the product of, like the Conservatives did, this long-term effort to take over institutions to drive the impression that they are supported by the majority, when in fact they're not, and to affect public opinion, which in fact they are doing. And um, so, you know, I think it's really important always, this is what I learned from politics, you know, who's the Wizard of Oz? You got to pull back the curtain and see who is the Wizard of Oz? Who is the one who's giving the illusion that everything is just happening organically and spontaneously? Often in public uh, affairs and in politics, things are not, as you know. <clears throat> it takes some powerful and rich folks. And I'm going to talk to you about a conspiracy. These are people doing what they believe. They're entitled to do it in a democracy. But equally, we are entitled to know who they are and what their objectives are so that we can equip ourselves and, and maybe point out some uh, arguments on the other side of the equation. So uh, whenever I'm asked uh, the question about how I feel about Hamas, I always feel it's, uh, it's, it's too insulting to respond. I'm not, I'm not going to you know, dignify a question about how I feel about Hamas. It's like asking, uh, you know, how do I feel about Charles Manson? I feel uh, nothing. I can't uh, justify it. I can't do the, well, you know, you've got to look at context. I can't, I can't go there. Um, Hamas is as sick as, 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 as you can be. So I'm not drawing a moral equivalence here between Hamas and the government of Israel. That's not the point of this. But here is the point. Is it not easier uh, to be uh, pro-Israel on any given hour of any given day of the week, Warren Kinsella, when you don't have to endure some of Netanyahu's reprobates who are talking about uh, Jewish settlers moving into Gaza and uh, saying that there will never be a, a two-state solution. Would uh, being pro-Israel be a lot simpler if it were not for Netanyahu's right-wing politics? I, you know, I've felt the, the same way for quite some time. Um, you know, Hamas, as evil as they are, are not stupid. And they chose, uh, obviously, to uh, invade Israel and kill 1,200 men, women, children, and babies um, on a holy day in the Jewish calendar. Um, but they also did it at a time when Netanyahu was trying to jam through uh, judicial reforms in Israel, which had produced the biggest protests on a daily basis in Israel's history. And you have this far-right-wing government in Netanyahu that has maniacs within it. So Hamas chose their time carefully. I think they would have had a much more difficult time if they'd had somebody like Benny Gantz as prime minister, who is a former military guy and is seen as much more centrist than Netanyahu. I'm not sure that October 7th would have happened or happened in the same way had somebody other than Netanyahu been there. And, and of course, we've now learned, as the New York Times has reported, not only has Netanyahu been the wrong guy at the wrong time, uh, turns out he knew that the Qataris were supplying millions to Hamas over a period of years, and he let it happen because he foolishly felt that that's how he could keep Hamas under control. So they chose the, the time that was best for them, and the time that was best for them was when the Netanyahu was in power,
because he's such a dislikable and disreputable character. So the most important uh, component of any uh, war effort is uh, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces. Is there now friction between IDF leadership and political leadership in Israel? Well, the IDF is in Israel. As you know, there's a mandatory military service for everybody in Israel. So the, you know, the IDF is part of the Israeli family and is an important emotional part. Getting back to that value stuff we were talking about, the IDF is part of the values in Israel. But I believe there will be a reckoning for the IDF and uh, Shin Bet and for Mossad because it, you know, in fairness to Netanyahu, it wasn't just him who dropped the ball on October 7th. It was also those organizations that were charged with protecting Israelis. So much in the way that Golda Meir felt uh, was subject to an inquiry, a tough inquiry after the Yom Kippur War 50 years ago, there is going to be such an inquiry after this war concludes. And I don't think Netanyahu is the only one who's going to be in the frying pan. I think the leadership of the IDF, at the very least, is going to be there as well. So there's this weird dichotomy in Israel, as you know, where the IDF as an institution is loved, but I don't think the present leadership of the IDF is. But isn't it true that many uh, members of the IDF leadership uh, are vehemently against the idea of Israel not replacing itself as a governing force in Gaza. They, they want Palestinians to govern. Obviously, they don't yeah. want Hamas, but, but there's a dispute there with Netanyahu, and many members of the IDF leadership believe that's getting in the way of prosecuting the war effectively. Yeah, well, just ask the British Army how, how well it worked out for them uh, policing Northern Ireland over a period of decades, right? Bingo. And getting picked off by the IRA. It's just overwhelmingly the polling I've seen in Israel, like 90% of Israelis, when the war is over and the hostages are home, they want out of Gaza. They want nothing to do with it. And this is why I think the tension is going to turn to the rest of the world and people in governments, including in Canada, who talk about supporting the Palestinians all the time, they're going to have to get their checkbook out because Israel is going to say, look, we don't want anything to do with governance here or control. It's over to you guys, whether it's the Palestinian Authority or some United Nations transitional government, whatever it's going to be, it will not be Israel. There's no way the people in Israel won't put up with it. Finally, uh, the American economy is roaring more stats today. Uh, with uh, three times as many jobs being created as was anticipated. Uh, their economic growth is the best in the world. Uh, Canada is clearly not uh, performing as well as the U.S. economy, although Canada's economy is performing better than uh, most of the others in the G7, except for, I suppose, uh, Japan. Here's my question, Warren. When will the Canadian economy roar like the American economy, or to be a little more nuanced about it, when will the Canadian economy show significant improvement, the kind that that people can feel? I don't know, because, you know, Biden, uh, notwithstanding what I said at the start, Biden still, people are unhappy, even though the economy is is firing on all cylinders in the United States. Like the numbers this morning, like that's re record employment gains. And he really isn't given credit for it or hasn't been given credit for it over the past couple of years. And I don't know, is that because of the pandemic, because people are grumpy? I'm not sure what it is. They are starting to give him some credit. Uh, but it takes a while from positive economic change to register in people's consciousness to the point where it affects their vote choice. And in the case of the, uh, the liberals here, because you're quite right, 
Canada's economy is compared to the rest of the G7 is is actually doing quite well. I think the thing that the Biden does that Trudeau doesn't, Biden communicates about it all the time. Like even up here in Canada, we t- we hear about Bidenomics, right? And here's his theory of the economy, and here's all the stuff we're doing. And Trudeau just doesn't do that as much as he should. And I think you know some of the people I talk to. If you've got good stories to tell in politics, you got to tell those stories. And Trudeau's not been doing that. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's not being given credit for some of the economic strength that we've got. If interest rates come down, do you think that uh, will make a difference to Canadian politics? Or do you believe that the blood is in the water and that uh, a conservative government and possibly a majority government is inevitable? Well, I was predicting an interest rate drop, not a dramatic one, in April. I'm not sure I'm going to predict that anymore because of what happened this morning, right? The Bank of Canada and the Fed are going to look at those employment numbers and say the economy is getting too hot again. And that's where they either keep interest rates where they are or they even look at raising interest rates again. They have not taken that off the table explicitly. So those numbers this morning, actually, I'm happy that all those people got jobs in the United States, but it makes me nervous because it it could result in interest rates remaining where they are. And that's not good news for Justin Trudeau. There's something, and this is nothing to do with Trudeau or Biden, there's something about economics that has always uh, bothered me. And I don't pretend to know more than uh, people who run the Federal Reserve or the Bank of Canada. So that's not where I'm coming from. I'm not saying those elitists should, 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 should have more common sense. I'm not, I'm not a right-wing populist. But it, it, it always troubles me that good employment numbers, people getting jobs, is somehow something that has to be punished, that the, that the population has to be punished with high interest rates because too many people are getting jobs. I realize it's just reality, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't tamp down my frustration. Yeah, and it's hard to explain to people. You know, like I think the economy has become like crime. People are looking at the economy now in the way that they look at crime. Crime never has anything to do with facts. It has to do, it's an emotional thing, right? And, you know, even though crime, let's say, was dropping in Canada for many, many years in every part of Canada, if you said that to people, not only would they disbelieve it, they'd get mad at you for saying so. And the same things happen, I think, to some extent with the economy. You can stand there and say, we're doing great compared to the rest of the G7. And they say, well, I don't give a shit who's in the G7. You know, I, I still, you know, I'm not getting paid what I need, you know, or or my, my dollar doesn't go as far as it used to, which is true. So, you know, there's a real emotional response to a lot of political issues now in a way that wasn't the case 10 or 20 years ago. And, you know, if you're a politician like Trudeau, who's been there for eight years, that's a big problem. Warren Kinsella, please say hi to Gen Z for me. I will. <laughs> <laughs> that's Warren Kinsella, and I'm Charles A.